Merry Christmas, everyone. Great to be with you. Great to be here. A uh, little, little different than normal. I feel like I'm with you anyway most of the time, just in a different way. So get to be here uh, and share this moment with you. You know, I was thinking about it. There's a couple of things I was thinking about. I was just listening to the song that we just shared together. A um, couple, couple of things just came to my mind. One was I, I was just uh, you know, amazed at the, the level of commitment that I saw just with the setup and uh, all the different ones that are serving so beautifully. And I would be remiss if I didn't at least acknowledge that. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes at the level of love for God and love for one another and the community that has emerged here. You know, we've only, we haven't even been at the Merced site here, uh, Lake Merced, for a year, as Pastor Skip mentioned. And yet it already seems to have a whole expression of life all its own. I was looking at the different ones who are serving in children's ministry. I was, I was my, my heart and uh, gratitude was going out to the, coffee, to, to the coffee people. And also I was thinking about the parking and the, the sacrifice that they were making out there in the rain when I came in. I was just, you know, all the setup, all the clothes. I mean, it's just really so many people have jumped in to participate, the children's ministry. I need to say that because it continually reminds me of, of what a gift we have been given here and how the Lord has been with us. And, and I was also thinking, you know, this is the first time, because I think Pastor Skip mentioned, you know, there's a, there's a, a play going on right now at, at Mission Campus. And um, many, some of us, I know not, not all of us, but some of us were there last night. I was. And it was great. But I, I was just thinking as I was sitting, sitting there, right there, uh, I was listening and thinking. And it just dawned on me that this was the first time in, that I had never been on the, Chris, the weekend, the Sunday before Christmas, which we call Christmas, you know, kind of weekend. This is the first time I've ever not been there that I can ever remember. And in fact, I think... I think that even goes back to when I was born, because the year they moved in there, I was born in that. I don't think I've ever missed it. And so this is the very first time. I, I was like, wow, wow, this is a trip, 50, almost 50 years. And so this, for me, is a different experience. I was telling someone, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share. Someone said, my, I think it was my son who was in the back. He asked me, he said, uh, hey, what are you going to be sharing about? I said, I'm going to be sharing about the Savior, right? And, and I said, but you know what's it was strange? Is, son, I, I'm going to share this message. And... It's a one-time deal, and I'm so used to sharing things, you know, more than a few times. And on Saturday night, I get to do something with it and share it. And a couple of this is for I'm just this is it. This is it. This is where it is. This is so you know it's like coming out of the oven, and you don't know what you, you, you say. Wow, what is this? You know. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to sharing this moment together and celebrating Christmas. I did need to also mention that we have at the Mission Campus tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, our candlelight services that are going on, right? That's six, eight, and for those who have this like deep conviction of ending at midnight, you know, ushering in Christmas, we have an 11 o'clock service as well. So six, eight, and 11, I personally, you know, love, I think along with the Thanksgiving morning service, the, the candlelight service is probably one of the most special things that we do. It's, I guess it's because it's very tender. And then also there's this moment at the end of the service when we all sing Silent Night, Holy Night, uh, and we all, the candles slowly are lit in the whole sanctuary, and it's filled up with light. And it's just really it's special and it's beautiful. And I feel like we're, we're ushering in the Lord's birth and celebrating it together. So, you know, just be aware of that. That's going on. And um, 
So we're not, we're not done with our Christmas weekend yet. But I want to pray. I want to ask God to bless our time. It's been raining out. It feels like winter. It's cold outside, but it's warm in here. And we get to do this. We get to acknowledge him. And that's a good thing for us to do. I'm going to pray, ask God's blessing. Then we'll share some more uh, in his word together. But Lord, I want to thank you uh, for, for more than a few things. You know, one, just being able to do this here. At, at the same time that, that others are, are uh, in our own church community are honoring you across the city. And how cool is that? How wonderful is that, Lord? How blessed we are to be able to share this together. How grateful we are. And yet even more so, Lord, we're grateful for um, the gift that you are to us. Um, we periodically need to remind ourselves what an extraordinary thing this is that we're acknowledging and celebrating and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, that we get to do that this morning. We get to say, Lord, our heart is listening for your voice. Um, we're open to you. I'm thinking of the, the fact that you want, to, you want to speak to us. And as we look at words that have been shared, boy, just countless times, read and reread, quoted, memorized, shared every year for almost 2,000 years, more so than that even, it's amazing, Lord, and, and yet, you know, or at least close to it. If we go back all the way to its origin, I guess we can say it's even more than the 2,000 years, Lord, because it was the day you were born these words were first shared. And so now we get to share them. So we're connecting with, we're connecting with something that goes into the deep places. And I want to ask for your presence to be among us and help for us both to listen as we choose to do so and to, and to have a heart that desires to learn and we welcome your presence, Lord, even now, light of the world who has come. Light, be that light among us even now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, God, amen. So uh, in your handouts, you're going to notice a couple of things. I'm going to refer to a, a pretty extensive passage here out of Luke 2. But, um, you know, in two days, it's going to be officially Christmas. And even now, this Christmas week, even right now on this Sunday, we are joining with millions upon millions of people. Now, again, every now and then it's good for us to remember this. There are millions and millions of people who are all over this globe, in every nation, in every continent. There are people who are turning their hearts to remember this special moment that we're now beginning to participate in ourselves. They're going to celebrate, they're going to rejoice in the birth of a Savior, the Savior of the world, Jesus our Lord. And we're talking about the birth of the one the one who the, the patriarchs of the Older Testament and the prophets anticipated. We're talking about the birth of the one who was the born to die. I think there's, there's, it's absolutely essential that whenever we talk about Jesus and his birth, that we also acknowledge that he was born to be our Savior, which is a way of saying he, was, he came into this world to die, to not just die, because we're all going to die, but to die for us and to rise, that we might have life in and through him. This is an important thing, to save his people, as the Older Testament said, to save his people from their sins, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that, that, that he has paid a debt that you and I could not pay. He was born. He chose to pay that debt. I mean, it's an amazing story. Christmas, then, is about the birth of Messiah, the promised one. It's about the birth of Christ, the anointed one. We're talking about God's own son. We're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. 
We're talking about the one who is mysteriously two natures, as the theologians of generations past have described it, that he was both God, fully God and fully man, that there was both a human and divine nature in Jesus. He was both like us in every conceivable way and at the same time, wholly other. And here we have the Christ. Now, that I, th I think, by the way, I think most of us know that December 25th is, you know, it's, we, we have no idea if that was the day, the day that Jesus was born on December 25th. In fact, the likelihood is he wasn't. But it is the date. We know, you know, we know the general time frame because the Bible is very clear about when Jesus was born. And there's a historical record attached to that. We know when he ministered. We have writings and historians that attest, attest to that. But the exact date that we celebrate, December 25th, well, we, didn't, we, you know, we don't know that if that was the date. But, I, but down the centuries... The, the Christian church has celebrated December 25th as, um, you know, the day that we say that's Jesus' birthday. That's the day we celebrate his birth. It's our marking point. And again, as I was thinking about it, I've always loved the fact that the Lord's coming, that the celebration of his coming is at the end of the year. You know, for me, it, it's it's. I don't know, a great gift that it, it, we celebrate the birth of Christ right on the precipice of a new year. And I love the fact that it goes back to back the way that it does. Because in, in so many ways, you know, Jesus is coming. Everything about Jesus speaks of both an ending of something and the beginning of something completely new. And so even the way that we position and, and celebrate his birth, to me, has significance because his entrance changed everything. And so whenever we think about, wow, Christ is God's gift to us. We celebrate the gift of the Son. But the way that our, our time frame is set up, it's like we get to also say, not only do I thank you, Jesus, for what your coming represents, the new possibility, new beginning, but then right around the corner, there's a new year. And everything about it feels like a fresh start, a new opportunity. And it's because the, when God has come to us as his son, and when he entered into this human experience, he did change everything. He didn't just change this world, and I hope we understand this, at a human historical level, because it was changed. I mean, all we have to do is think about how we, how we think about our years and on a calendar, and we know Jesus has changed this world. His coming changed it at a historical level, but his coming changed it even more at a spiritual and eternal level. And that's what I want us to think about as we move into the rest of our time here. Because for me, when we think about his coming, it really is as C.S. Lewis once called it. He said the coming of Jesus was kind of like the end of winter. And, and at least it was the beginning of the end of, of death and darkness when Jesus came into the world. And the if you want to put it this way, the birth of Christ was the first note of God's overture of light and love. It was the first note of the song, the divine song that God was about to sing over this world. Everything leads into it. Everything leads out of it. It is a significant moment. It changes everything about the human existence that we now experience. His coming is huge. And a lot of times we just talk about it, but we forget. It's like, it's like this is God's endless song. And it's still playing. And to those who have ears to hear, you can hear it even now. Are we listening? It's, he's singing his song. The Savior has come. God's song for us has come. It's a beautiful thing to think about and reflect on. Now, in Luke 2, we're just going to look at verse number 1, and we'll just kind of read through this, verses 1 through 3. 
It says that it came to pass in those days. Those days um, were a particular time frame, as we're going to see here. In those days, when, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, and, and this, this census took place. And again, the purpose of the registration was so that Rome could tax properly. If you don't know who, who the people are, and then you have no idea if you're getting the money that is designed to fuel the empire, and Rome is at its apex. This is the first time uh, someone has risen to the heights of absolute you know, power the way that Augustus Caesar had. He was the first true emperor of Rome, and Rome was the greatest power the world had ever seen. They had seen amazing powers and amazing movements of consolidated power with some of the great empires of the world, the Babylonians, the, you know, the Medes and the Persians, and of course Alexander the, Greek, the Great and the Greeks. But you also had you know, other things that were happening. But in terms of the known world at the time, Europe and Asia and Africa, Rome had extended itself in an extraordinary way. It was a critical time in human history where one power had achieved essentially peace. It was called the Pax Romana. It was essentially the peace of Rome that was extended through, through primarily a military machine. And it was dominated by one man, Caesar Augustus. And Rome had such centralized power that when they made a decree, it sent in motion people all over the known world. And one of, the, one of those who would be sent in motion were an obscure couple that we're going to look at, a man named Joseph and his betrothed or his fiancée who happened to be pregnant named Mary. But we're told here that the census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria so that every, all went to the, be registered. Everyone went to his own city. So the requirement was that you had to go to the city of your ancestors. Essentially where your family lines were, you had to return there. It didn't matter where you lived at the time, you had to go back there. That sort of sets up all of what is about to take place. And again, it's pretty interesting. One man's decision, a man who called himself a deity, set in motion millions of people. The people of Palestine, and by the way, the word Palestine is, was a, uh, something that came out of the Roman period. Today we talk about the Middle East, we talk about the region of Israel. We say, oh, that's Palestine, but that, the word Palestine, it, the Palestine was uh, uh, invented by the Romans. That was their characterization of that unique part of the world. And it's a, it's a name that has stayed with us through the centuries. But all the people were set in motion and we know that when Rome gave their, their word, people had to move. Verse 4, it says, So Joseph, look at this, also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, again, I just kind of want to, what we'll do is, I just want us to have a, a, a sense of the geography that we're talking about. So we'll put the map up real quick. I like to do this because it's important to remember the Bible is talking about real places at real times in, in real history. And one of the things that we see, you see where the Mediterranean Sea is, but you can also see where, where Galilee is located. You can still go there today. You can go to that very place, Nazareth. If you go down, you see how the Jordan River goes, and you see where all the, where the, where the we're talking about the Dead Sea and the Red Sea. You can see all that. You see where Jerusalem is. You can see all the regions still there. But you can see how Jerusalem is located in the south. Galilee's in the north. Jerusalem, Judea, the city of Jerusalem. But down right underneath Jerusalem is a small town that I've, I've actually been able to see because it still exists, Bethlehem. 
And it was to that place that Joseph and Mary were sent. They were, they, and there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. But again, stay with me, you guys. On the surface, it appeared that Rome and Augustus, Caesar Augustus, was setting the agenda, right? And in a sense, they were. I mean, it was Augustus who made the decision to have everybody taxed, so everybody has to move. But upon closer examination, if you really think about this, it reveals something far, there is something far more intricate, far more complicated, and far more profound that's actually taking place. In other words, it seems like, oh, this is just a, a whim of an emperor who needs to have money to fuel the empire, the military machine, that makes Rome go, so he's got to get people, you know, registered so they can be taxed properly so Rome can collect the money. Now, that's how it looks in the big picture. But if we think about this in a different way, what we understand is actually there's so much more going on. In fact, it was about mm, a number of years, six, about 650 years prior to this happening, before there, Augustus ever even had a thought about it, or he was even born, before Rome had even really emerged as it had, this was written by an ancient prophet out of Israel, a rather obscure one, a man by the name of Micah. And he wrote these words. And it's something that we often, you know, where we think about during Christmas time, because he said this, he says, but thou, look at this, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among thousands. Think about it, thousands in Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, the one to be the ruler with over all Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. So already, 650 years before Augustus and Rome ever gets the idea that they're going to have a, a, a taxation scenario that's going to cause everybody to have to just travel and, and sign up, that God already had predicted this was going to take place. He said, this is where Messiah is going to be born. But when, when Mary was, and Joseph, think about it, from their perspective, right, well, they don't have any idea of what's going on. You know, what do we, what do we see here then? What we, and I just want us to think about this. We see the intertwining of God's plan with the movements of history. And for God, he had already declared where Messiah would be born. He said it would be born in Beth, in Beth, he would be born in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary... They had no idea. They didn't really have that sense of understanding of everything that was going on. They had been given no revelation by like an angel that said, hey, you go down to Bethlehem because that's where Messiah is supposed to be born. I, I think, honestly, they just they did it because that's where they were supposed to be um, going because that's what the way the twist and turn of life. Heaven never said, you know, heaven had done this uh, kind of amazing thing. They knew that something extraordinary was, extraordinary was taking place. Mary had a baby. She hadn't been with a human being. How is this possible? God had told her how it would work. The Holy Spirit will over, overcome you. That which will be born in you, this holy child. But Joseph didn't believe her. Logically, he shouldn't have. He was engaged to her. Honestly, he thought she had been unfaithful. And he had, we know from the scripture that his, in his mind, he was going to have her basically put away, sequestered, because he didn't, want, he didn't want her, he was not a vindictive man, but he, and, but he didn't want her to be stigmatized at the same time. He didn't want to marry her. And that's where it would have ended, the Bible says, if God had not spoken to Joseph and said, this, this is what's happening is as she says, it's just as she says. And so Joseph agrees to move, if I can put it this way, with the program of God, with the movement of God. And he decides as Mary and him decide that, that they're going to, 
make their way to Bethlehem, not because some angel, angel told them, though. Nobody gives them the instruction, go. But because he's just moving, they're moving with life. And I've, I've got a kind of thought that I'm trying to get at here, which is that we need to live our lives with humility because things are not always as they seem. And sometimes, again, we, they didn't have the 30,000 you know, feet perspective. They weren't getting the big picture. They were just moving. They were open to God. They're moving with the, the way life was being constructed. But all along the way, while they're doing their small part, God has got this big thing that he's doing that's changing the world. And, and, and again, it's, it's bigger even than the, the, the emperor himself who really comes in this, in this situation. He just looks like a small agent who's working on behalf of the kingdom of God. He's, he's, he's just a piece of this larger story. It's fascinating to think about. And again, it's a reminder for all of us that we, you know, we are, we, things are not always as they seem. And sometimes God is up to something and, and we may never see it really in its full picture. But ours is to live a life of faith and humility with love and openness to the wonder of God. And what we will find is many times God will do miraculous things in our lives around and through and in us. So keeping that in mind, just take a little bit further here, you guys. Let's move forward. It says, uh, I was thinking about, it says Bethlehem here. And again, I alluded to this. And, and we'll just quickly put the map real fast back up. Uh, just again, to show us Bethlehem, where it's located. But um, in Bethlehem, by the way, it was not an impressive place. It, um, it, it was more like a, a large village than a rollicking city. So, and even today, it's probably his biggest claim to fame is 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 the birthplace of Christ. You take that out, no one would... In fact, in fact I, will, I will say this. It, in, in their day, in the day of Joseph and Mary, it's chief bragging right, because every small town usually has one. It's chief bragging right, Bethlehem's, was that, well, that was the birthplace of Israel's greatest king. So when someone would say, where do you come from? I come from Bethlehem. You know, that was the place where David was born. See, they, David had been born in Bethlehem, and so they could claim that right. That was sort of like the city of, remember you hear the phrase at Christmas time, the city of David? Well, this is it. It's, 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 the vill- it's a town. It, it wasn't much, believe me. And, but yet, for those who lived there at the time, it was a place where, you know, they could say, that's where David was born. But the kingdom of da- that, that David had established when Israel was at its apex and was, man, it was long gone, you know, uh, they were, you know, there was a time when Israel, under David, King David's leadership, had been admired and, and proud. But that period was way over. Those days were history. But years before, David's descendants had been let out as captives into the different places in the world. And they had been scattered throughout the world and nations. And, and relatively few of David's descendants and, and had returned back to Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was really... Not a, not a place that people would, would go to relocate to. That's the point I'm trying to make. The, but the royal house had saved little besides maybe its ancestral records. But one of, one of the representatives of that past royalty was a man who was connected as a descendant of what was once a great thing, a man named Joseph who was a carpenter who lived in Galilee in the north and worked in a village town called Nazareth. And 
he was actually connected by blood to David and, the, and Bethlehem was the place of his ancestry. And so when Rome says, you need to go and register, he says, Mary, I, we've got to, we've, I know you're about to have a baby, but we've got to go back south. We've got to go back to Bethlehem. That's the place of my, my ancestry. That's where I'm supposed to register. And so that sets in motion. And so here he and his mysteriously young pregnant wife um, make this arduous journey with little fanfare. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. There was no trumpets blaring, no light shining. There was no parade um, out of Nazareth that, you know, hey, you guys are going. There's no welcoming. There's not, it was nobody knew. Nobody knew anything. They're just one of many, a poor couple, um, an honorable man who has a craft, his, his young, pregnant, betrothed wife, um, on their way to Bethlehem. Nobody notices, okay? That's the picture we're given. But they're being moved because of some emperor's avarice and whim and just, just a non-distinctive or undistinctive couple. Um, one, the only, the, probably the only thing unique about it is that one of them is bursting at the seams. And that would have probably been about the only thing that caused you to take a second glance. Wow, I feel bad. We think we, think we have a bad look at them. She's about to have a baby. She looks very uncomfortable. She's really about ready to have it, too, as well as we can see. But when that time came and they finally arrived, and we're told here, in fact, in verse 7, at the bottom end of that seventh verse, it says that when they finally did get to Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the inn. And, you know, because the inn was full, there were so many people who were also there, so that this small town was filled up with other people who had made the journey to register. And what we're being told here is that when they finally did get there, there was no room in the inn. And again, we've, many people have talked about this moment, what it would have been like when Joseph comes up to the innkeeper and he says, hey, you know, you have any, you have any rooms? And he says, hey, you know, I don't. There's nothing left. Every room's filled. You can see. And Joseph probably says something like, but come on. You've got to have something. Look at my wife. She's about to have, she's about to have a baby. We need at least some a room somewhere. You've got to have one. And he says, listen, I don't got anything. That's the way it works in the real world, buddy. There's, this is full. But I got, you've got to have something. I've got one spot. So, well, yeah, I'll tell you what. If you want to use the, the stable back there, Go ahead. You can have it. But there's no rooms left for you to have. It's filled up. But you can have it if you want to go over there. And, and it's an amazing thing because it's like, well, thanks a lot, he probably says. And they went. We know that. And, and, and he's, he, Joseph probably would have said, but that's filthy. And we think, oh, you're so... <laughs> we, we think of the nativity scenes, right? And, oh, oh it's beautiful and romantic and sentimental and clean. It's very clean when we set them up. Um, but that was dirty. It was really dirty. Because that's the place where animals, you know, ate and other things happened as well. <laughs> and so it was, listen, I, I don't, we shouldn't miss it. It's worth saying every Christmas. But when God enters into the world, he, he enters into the, the smell and the mess of it. He, he's born, you know, we say, oh, an, there's a away in a manger, and it's a great picture. It is. But a manger was an animal feeding trough. 
I don't know, was there any stuff in there? Did they have to move it out when Jesus is placed in there? You know, when he comes in this world, it's messy, it's smelly. Nobody's, nobody's really <laughs> welcoming him in. There's no comfort that you can think of. He's wrapped up in some cloths, placed in an animal trough. It's, it smells, it's dingy. It, it, it's, it's nothing that we would go, oh, this is great. All of us, would want to avoid a place like that to have our baby. But that's where the Lord came. And I, I, I think we need to remember that because, again, look at verse 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. I mean, when he comes, again, there's... Because any birth is going to have it. There's blood. There's wood. I already, you can, it, there's a life. You see it? And there's mess. And it's all the things that characterize the human experience are right there. And every time we think that somehow that God can't really put up with us or somehow we don't cut the grade or that we've failed too many times and therefore we're sort of disqualified, you know, so these are some of the concepts that are, even our Christmas play was exploring. The idea that somehow, you know, we, we're not good enough for the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, anyone who comes that way reminds us there's no mess that he's not willing to come into. The only thing the Lord really, I think, requires out of you and me is humility and honesty. If we are willing to do that, he comes so low and so tender and so vulnerable that he invites us to open up our hearts. You see that? I love Christmas. Because Christmas reminds me not of God's awesome power, which I know is there, and his holiness, which I believe in deeply, which, which is what ultimately causes him to give his life away for us. But Christmas really does remind us about the tenderness of God and our invitation to lay aside all of our pretense and just be real with him. You see that? I love that. And when he came, you think about this. When he came, he passed the temple courts. I mean, I wonder in a minute. I said, I go, how, why would you do this this way, God? And that's the reason why so many people missed him. Because nobody was looking for that entry. We would have gotten, you know, certain things happening that got everybody's attention. But when the Lord comes into this world, I mean, for one thing, there's no room for him. That's another thing. He gets here. And it's like, no room for you. Go to the outside. God, no space. See, there's another, there's another picture. Again, he's, it's anticipating, in, in a way, his destiny. Right there at the beginning. Already, he is being pushed to the side, to the outside. Um, it's, and we sit there with saddened kind of amazement. A magnificent melancholy, if you will, that causes us to say, wow, God, why do you do things the way you do them? Because when he came, he passed the temple court, the great columns, all the history, the greatest thinkers and theologians and religious leaders, he passed that by. When he came, he passed the royal palace, didn't even blink at Caesar. When he came into this world, he passed even the inn, if you will, no, he came and he was born and laid in an animal trough 
in some bleak outhouse on the backside of an inn that was filled to the rim. Outside a dwelling, he is born. He comes in low, he comes in silent, he comes in stealth. Few were there at his entrance, and yet he came into this world, the world that he was born to save. That's the way God comes. Now, it's like in the, in the, in the prayer of Luther there, there's, that I put on your handout, it's like, you said, like we say, welcome to the earth, thou noble guest, through whom the sinful world is blessed. The noble guest comes, but few people notice it. Uh, and, and even though few noticed, cared, or understood, heaven, it seems, feels compelled to break out. It's almost like God is saying, okay, something's got to break out because no one else is noticing, and that's the way. Look, look at verse 8, and we're just going to kind of, we'll read through this passage. I won't stop too much. I just will read through it as I, as I move to the, to the point of the final piece of this. It says this, that now there were in the same country. Now we've, again, maybe we've read this so many times. But there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord, it just it shone around them. And they were afraid like anybody would have been. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Uh, this is not a time for fear because behold, look at this. I bring you good tidings. That is great news of great joy which will be to not just you, but to all people. Why? Because here's a key verse you get. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior. You may not realize what has just happened, but a Savior has been born, Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find him when you look for this. You will see this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. He's going to be lying in a manger. And then suddenly, after that was said, it says that there was like, uh, with the angel, this multitude of a heavenly hosts. Can you imagine this moment when the, the heavens, just for a moment, they are, it's like a, unveiled and there's something in another dimension that comes out at a spiritual level. And there's this host of angels beginning to sing out and praise God. Look what it says, praising God, saying, glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. It's like heaven explodes just for a brief moment. It just shows a little bit of itself and the glory of God is revealed. It's amazing. It's, it's, it, it, and then it says that, this is it. so it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, well, we got, we, let's go to Bethlehem and let's go back into the town and see the thing, this thing. Look at verse 15. See this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us, revealed to us. And they came with haste. That is, they hurried as fast as they could. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them. We, you won't believe what, we just, what just happened to us. The reason we're here is because it was like these, these angels that said they, it was amazing. You should have seen it. And they said that you need to go look for this child who was born. And it was, a, it was an astonishing, amazing thing. And then it says that they, all those who heard it, they just marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Which, by the way, is why we sing some of the songs we sing. The carols, you know, joy to the world, hark the herald angels sing. You know, this idea of, of the singing and the angelic host. I mean, it's all here. And then they, and look what it says. But, but it says, but Mary kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Again, I, I, I know she's a teenager. Uh, we don't know exactly, probably somewhere between 14 and 18 years old. According to the norms of those days. And yet there's a depth to her. She pondered these things in her heart. 
And then the shepherds, they returned. And they were just glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and all the things that they had seen as it was told them. And I love this. I, 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 you know why I, I love this? Because it says, it says they were, you have one person who's pondering and another group who's praising. Pondering and praising. Two sides of the Christian life. I love that because think about it. There, what is it telling us? That there is a side to our life with Jesus that is to be thoughtful, prayerful, and reflective. Not simply emotional driven, although emotions are huge because the other piece of it is this. They're glorifying and praising and that has everything to do with our emotions. Because to be a follower of Jesus is to use both our mind to worship him and our heart to worship him. It is both pondering and praising. It's not one to the exclusion of the other. It's about something that is, if I can say it, filled with song and joy. And again, another reason I love Christmas time is because it's about song. And so much of the Christian, the Christmas account is connected to song and joyfulness and light and life. This is no dead thing. This is no passionless thing. Yes, there are times for thought and slowing down and considering and sitting in amazement and being open to wonder and reflecting on our life and what God is doing. Those moments are important. And I would suggest to every one of us that somewhere between now and the new year that we take some time to ponder what the Lord would say to us about the year that is coming. That we, we ponder the priorities and purpose ourselves positionally to pursue a path. There's a lot of P's there, right? To pursue a path that the Lord would have for us, right? That this is idea that I'm pulling out to sense what the Lord might be saying to me at a personal level. Listen, at a, at a family level, at a community level, I've been trying to listen, trying to ponder, Lord, what are you saying to me about this new year? I love Christmas because Christmas invites me to remember that God is involved in our lives and that the heart of the child, not the cynic, prevails. The cynic loses. It, it's the heart of the child that gains the kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. All the other things shall be added unto you. We need to ponder, but not just ponder and prioritize and, and consider and reflect and deep th think some deep thoughts even if we've never been trained to do so. Some of us, we've grown up in a, with a heritage of thoughtfulness. So it, it's come easy for us to listen for a long time, to reason. Others of us, that's not part of our heritage. And if it hasn't been part of our heritage, then as a follower of Jesus, the Lord wants to expand our ability to do that so that we actually are thinking about things and prayerfully considering things. But there's also sometimes another piece of the Christian life that if it doesn't exist, other people won't want to follow him. There has to be another part that's beyond cerebral. There has to be an aspect of the Christian life that is joyful. It, everything about his coming is filled with joy, even in the pain. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, I'll put it this way, is that there has to be music at a soul level going on inside of you and me. That doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean everything's going our way. What it does mean is that God wants to give us a song. Christmas is a song, and he wants to sing a song through us right through this time into the new year. Last thing I'll say, and this is the connected to the prayer that I put in there from Luther. I'd like us to look at it together. And I love this, I love this prayer. I share it a lot at Christmas time. 
I won't say every year, but a lot, of, a lot of the years I do. Welcome to the earth, thou noble guest, through whom the sinful world is blessed. Thou comest to share my misery. What thanks shall I return to thee? Now stop right there. That word, you come to share my misery. I thought, wow. That, that caught me. Because there is true. That was a true prayer. Because I'm saying in life, there is, there is an element of misery. You say, what are you talking about? This is about joy. Yeah, but there's an honest. There was pain in the birth. There was, there was, it was not fun to have to make a journey pregnant uh, with, with a, on a donkey. It was no fun being put outside. It was no fun having to deal with the elements that they had to deal with. There's a lot about the Christmas account that isn't enjoyable. And some of it is even painful. But out of it comes life. And we, and I'm thinking in our life, and this is, you'll get this more the older you get. Because as much as I thought I knew, I don't think I really understood the nature of life the way that perhaps someone in their middle years starts to understand it. And I'm sure it's different even when you get into your advanced years. But you realize that there's a lot of things that don't always work out the way we were hoping. And that some of life is misery. What are you talking about? It's supposed to be joyful, right? Well, I'm going to say that we say sometimes goodbye to people we love. We hurt. We cry. We're disappointed. Have you ever been that? I have. We lose things. Things break. Things elude us. Some dreams do not come true. Life is filled, listen, with joy, yes, and tears. Hopefully, more of the former, less of the latter. But nonetheless, that's real. You came to share my misery. But look, what thanks shall I return to thee? In other words, despite the contradictions and the complications and sometimes what seems to be the unfairness of life because so much of our life is affected sometimes by decisions that aren't even being made by us, but by people we've invested our heart into. We can't change that, but there's a lot, but he's saying this, and I love it. Yet there is so much to be grateful for in light of all of that. Look at that. He says, what thanks shall I return to thee? You've come and you've entered in to the brokenness of my life. And what, what thanks shall I give? I love that because it's like the, he's saying, I'm choosing to be thankful. And then the final piece, the final prayer, in fact, it's like the answer. He says, you know, our dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft, undefiled within my heart that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. Despite the contradiction, the answer has been given. You know what the answer? The solution, it's a solution, not a sedative. And it's a son. It's Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. But it's up to us to make a bed, to prepare a place, to give him room in our lives. God is vulnerable. He awaits for us to respond. And that is a continual thing throughout the Christian life. In fact, you know what I think we'll do? Because we're going to close like we do, as our custom is, with our time of giving. Maybe more important this time of the year than ever. And then I have, we have our closing song, which, which will be a, a, a point of celebration of the Christmas moment. And of course, for those of you who want to push forward, who have the ability to do so, I think you should make it a priority to try to 
to honor the Lord, to express your love for him tomorrow on the eve of the celebration of his birth. But even with that, before we do any of that, I was looking at that last stanza, and I just, you know what I would like us to do? I'd like us, actually, you know what? We're going we're gonna to just read this through together. And I want you to do it. It not be loud, but I would like us to actually read this together. I don't do this that often. Why not? Let's just do it. You're only, I'm only Merced, right? We're going to do this. Come on. All right. Ready? Let's just read this together. Welcome, read out loud. Welcome to the earth, thou noble guest, through whom the sinful world is blessed. Thou comest to share my misery. What thanks shall I return to thee? Let's say this to him. Ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft, undefiled, within my heart, that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. Amen. Lord Jesus, our prayer is to create a place in our life that only you can have. When we're at our best, that's what we're doing. We're making room for you because out of, in our heart, because out of the heart flow all the issues of life. And when, when you are in the right place, all the other relationships in our lives just tend to work better. And again, that doesn't exempt us from the pain. It doesn't exempt us from hurt. But there's something about the way in which life works. The law, just like there's laws of nature, Lord, there's laws, laws of the spirit. And one of those things is this, Lord, when we make room for you and we try to keep that place clean and we try to, yeah, I know you come into messy places, but what, what we're saying, Lord, is we want to keep our heart just like a place that's clean. It, 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 it's not perfect, but it, it's a place where you can be comfortable. You want to be with, with us, warm, kept, loved, honored, revered, holy. And we, we ask you, Lord, as we move into this new year, into this final week and then into the new year, that you would just give us a, a, a refreshed love for you, uh, a, 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 an appreciation for your tenderness. I pray that tomorrow we would just remember you, and then on the day that you're born, we would just at least take some, some place along that day to just say thank you. Thank you for coming, and thank you for everything that your coming represents, both at a global level and at a personal level. And so we who don't deserve you nonetheless receive you. We thank you for having us, precious Jesus. Help us to embrace you all the days of our lives. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.